Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pages Unknown, the podcast dedicated to all things bookish and nerdy. My name's Michaela, and I'll be joined, as always, by my effervescent co-host, Zachariah. Say hi, Zachariah. Hi, Zachariah. As a reminder, new episodes of Pages Unknown air every Wednesday. Please follow us on Apple, Spotify, TikTok, Instagram, all the places to get notified for our new episodes and get little fun posts in between. If you like what you hear in today's podcast, please consider giving us a quick rating. It really does help. Thank you. This month is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, as well as Jewish American Heritage Month. We are prioritizing stories by and about AAPI and Jewish folks. There are a lot of month-long celebrations throughout the year, Black History Month, Pride Month, and the two I've just mentioned. But reading stories by folks from these communities shouldn't just be delegated to a single month. We can and should be reading these stories all year round. So for this week's episode, we read the debut novel Sea Change by Gina Chung. To set the scene here, I'm going to read the book's official description, how it was marketed, so we can dissect that a little bit later. Our main character, Ro, short for Aurora, is stuck. She's just entered her 30s, she's estranged from her mother, and her boyfriend has just left her to join a mission to Mars. Y'all, when I read that description, I fell out. Uh, This woman is going through it. (laughs) Her days are spent dragging herself to her menial job at the aquarium, and her nights are spent drinking shark teenies, Mountain Dew and copious amounts of gin, plus a hint of jalapeno. With her best friend pulling away to focus on her upcoming wedding, Rose's only companion is Dolores, a giant Pacific octopus, who also happens to be Rose's last remaining link to her father, a marine biologist who disappeared while on an expedition when Roe was a teenager. When Dolores is sold to a wealthy investor intent on moving her to a private aquarium, Roe finds herself on the precipice of self-destruction. Wading through memories of her youth, Roe realizes that she can either lose herself in the undertow of reminiscence or finally come to terms with her childhood trauma, recommit to those around her, and find her place in an ever-changing world. Michaela, can we get your initial thoughts on Sea Change? Yes. Thank you so much for asking. Love, 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 love. I really enjoyed this book. We're going to get into a lot about the reviews and the things that I sort of are preconceived notions going in, but I have to say now on the other side of reading it, This book was so Mm -hmm. not a hug because it is quite sad. Mm -hmm. It's dealing with sadder themes. It's dealing with things that semi like new adults, people who are trying to figure their Mm -hmm. life out but are old enough to have a 401k. It's a very (laughs) stressful time and this encapsulates that. So I wouldn't say it's like a hug, but you feel so seen when you're reading it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Her writing style is so approachable. Everything about this book I, I, I loved. I felt like the way that Gina Chung writes makes the characters so realistic and so believable. It's just compellingly simple. I feel connected to them. Ro is just a human being. She just exists and goes about her her day and her life. And I absolutely loved it. Towards the end of it, I kept thinking Mm -hmm. to myself, I was thinking of Hosier's new song, All Things End. Like that's kind Mm. of the vibe I was getting. (laughs) I loved this book. What What did you think? So I did cry a couple of times reading this book. And what I thought this book was about was not what this book was about. So that's my own fault. But going into this felt like we were given an exclusive look into this person's entire being. Yeah. I am unsure whether or not this 
is supposed to be semi-autobiographical or self-referential in any way on behalf of the author, but you're right. It is compellingly simple and just real, which sounds like such a ridiculous way of describing something because we're, <laughs> we're like, oh, it's so real. It's raw. No, this legitimately felt like I was witnessing someone's downward spiral in a way that wasn't propped up by some large dramas or something. These are just real interactions between people that are demonstrating the children of immigrant experience, which we can get into later, Mm -hmm. relationships, self-worth issues, confronting the worth that other people put on you and not knowing where anything is going at any one time. I thought it was so funny though, that he's going to Mars. He's like, I know we're not just going to break up. I'm literally leaving the planet. And (laughs) this is such a realistic book that that kind of outlandish element of people going there kind of makes you think it might be a little more sci-fi. I don't know if you felt that Mm -hmm. same way or not. I agree. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know what to expect coming into this Mm because I really had heard so many different things right around the same time that this is coming. Mm -hmm. I think this came out second. But there's another book about a person and an Mm -hmm. octopus, Remarkably Bright Creatures by Shelby Van Pelt. That is another book that is also about Mm -hmm. a person and an octopus sharing a bond. At first, I thought it was more Mm -hmm. like that, where it was more going to be science heavy and more so about the octopus. But no, this is about Ro. This is about Aurora. This is about her growing and changing but those that growth and those changes are very subtle and very human you know we read a lot of books where we talk about character arcs and we say okay the beginning the character is selfish or flawed in some way and by the Mm -hmm. end they're not they figured it out yeah this is not that this is steady growth this is realistic growth these are changes that you can make over time in your very real life to work towards the person you want to be. And that's what it mm-hmm. feels like Aurora is starting. When this book finishes, it feels like she's starting that journey. And I just think that that is so amazing. <laughs> I know. When the book ends, and I'm not. this is not a spoiler, but no. when the book ends, it feels like she's one day away from starting therapy. Like that's where we're at. That's kind of the scene, like understanding all of the problems that you have either caused or that have happened to you. It was too real. Her feeling like I need to make sure the disappearance of my father isn't because of me. And it isn't because of what I've forced my mother to go through because of how young she was right when she had me and Every book we've read also in the past couple of weeks, there's been a character from Indiana. And I'm like, can we (laughs) knock it off? What's going on? Every time Indiana is mentioned in a book, it is like, it's the most depressing, horrible place I've ever seen. (laughs) Indiana. And I'm like, God. (laughs) Get wrecked. But it it was beautiful. And I know we're kind of, we're trying to talk in the abstract here because these changes, as you're saying, Michaela, they're really subtle. It's the way that she feels about food, how she feels Mm -hmm. about alcohol, media that she's consuming, her friend, everything is changing. And it doesn't really feel like it's any person's fault, truly. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of what was real about it. There's, there's nowhere to put the blame. And that's why the problem feels so much more complicated, because there's nothing to point that caused it. Why don't we give a quick introduction to our characters so yeah. people know who we're talking about? And then there is something that I would, there's a quote that I really want to unpack mm-hmm. with you if I could a little bit. But first. I've got a couple for you too, so don't worry. Okay, perfect, perfect. <laughs> so first we said we have Aurora or Ro, mm-hmm. our main character who's sorting all this out, who works at the local aquarium. The main thing that she works with at the aquarium 
is a Pacific octopus named Dolores, who (laughs) the fact that Gina Chung is able to funnel so many emotions and so much personality into Mm -hmm. a written octopus. I feel like a lot of times with personifications and anthropomorphizing animals, seeing the animal acting a certain way is the thing that makes them feel human. So her being able to write it where I was like, Dolores, you bitch. <laughs> like, Dolores, <laughs> you're so shady. <laughs> like, Wait, why did she it's turn an octopus. red? What's she trying to say? It's an octopus, yes. <laughs> <laughs> or like in the beginning of the book, Dolores turns blue to signify she's ready to mate. And Aurora's like, same, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> we have Tay, who is Aurora's ex-boyfriend who's going to Mars. We have Aurora's parents, her Uma and Appa, who are introduced. Her Appa, their relationship is very strained, hers and her mother's. And it's strained because her mother and her father do not get along. She says at one point in the book, I think at one time they must have loved each other. But that has since curdled and sort of become something more akin to tolerate. And her father has gone missing. He is missing, presumed dead after going to explore. What is it? The Bering Strait? It's kind of like the Bering Strait meets the, um, what's that triangle called? The Bermuda Triangle. The Bermuda Triangle. It's like a combination of those two things. We have a couple of friends (laughs) in here. I'm using air quotes. (laughs) Because they're not yeah, really sure. good friends. Yun He and Rachel. We have Carl and Haley. Carl is her boss at the aquarium, and he's kind of a turd. He's sort of <laughs> just obnoxious and sort of annoying to deal with, but means well and is ultimately harmless. It's that kind of like fake earnestness where he's like, yeah. we can do it, team. He's Chris Traeger from <laughs> um <laughs> from Parks and Rec. Yeah, except Chris Traeger is authentically upbeat. And Carl's Carl's your boss who walks in and says, we can't give you a raise, but here's an employee appreciation card to get something at the commissary downstairs. (laughs) Like Here's a pizza party. Yeah, literally that kind of dude. So that's our cast of characters, really. Those are the the important ones. We have a couple other people that come and go, but I think that these are the the core group. There is a quote that I'd like to talk about, Mm -hmm. and it's towards the beginning of the book. I just need to pull it up on my Kindle app. Okay. Aurora is talking about her friend Yun Hee. Who they've been friends for a very long time, and Yun Hee has sort of moved on from Aurora. She's sort of living her own life and is very hard to reach. And when she is reachable, she's not really present and not at all helpful <laughs> to Aurora. Aurora says, The thing I hate most about the new Yun Hee is her penchant for the passive voice, as though whatever she's talking about is totally outside her control. I really feel like I have a lot of opinions about Yoon-hee, and they're probably not going to be popular. I actually think that Yoon-hee might be the only person in this entire book who actually cares about Aurora. And I know that that's saying a lot here, but imagine you are supposed to be this person's best friend, and all Aurora has kind of done is retreat, kind of push people away, ignore any kind of advances of friendship or companionship of any kind, what is Yoon-hee supposed to do? Is she just supposed to keep going through it and just like deal with the fact that her supposed best friend won't respond to her? Yoon-hee has now turned into this kind of person, but is it Yoon-hee's fault entirely? I don't know. Well, it takes two people to tango, that's for sure. A relationship Uh, doesn't crumble apart, you know. 
but actually, which I think is something mm-hmm. that Yunhee says to Aurora, she's that a relationship <laughs> doesn't crumble apart just because of one person. Mm-hmm. The thing that I really loved about that quote is we talk a lot on this podcast and in our real life mm-hmm. about passive voice, aggressive characters, people who actively live in the moment versus characters mm-hmm. who the plot is happening to them, mm-hmm. you know, character driven versus plot driven. These are all things we talk about. This is like the most succinct way I have ever seen an author summarize one of those things to be like, this person (laughs) lives in the passive voice. When giving excuses, it's never, I can't come. It's always, this other thing is happening to me that's precluding me from coming to you. It isn't my choice. It's out of my control. I can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. I just, that really stuck out to me. I haven't quite digested it fully to where I could I know like, talk for about this forever, I feel like. But these types of grammatical and like vocabulary choices and the way that she describes mm-hmm. her characters, oh my God. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. It makes you think. Imagine that. I mean, Gina Chung, regardless of how any of us feel about any of the plot or any of the whatever, Gina Chung has such a command of language. Her prose is so lovely to read. And it is simple, but it's simple in a way that it's deceiving. Right? You're like, oh, this is just a statement. And then later you're like, well, hold on. What do you mean? What do you mean that this has happened? (laughs) Yeah. I had a quote for you I wanted to read at you. So, one of the recurring themes in this, as I kind of said earlier a little bit, is her relationship with substances and Mm -hmm. how she treats food because she has kind of always been around a mother who maybe encouraged a little bit eating less food or acted like she wasn't being polite when she was eating a lot. I used to wonder if we would take better care of our bodies if our skin was transparent, if every little thing we did and said and ate was observable, if every hurtful or careless thing we ever said to one another manifested itself visually in the body, would we be any different than how we are now? Would we do more to protect each other or ourselves? That kind of encapsulates the bigger question of this whole book. If we actually understood each person's intent around the things that they said, would we receive it differently? Would they deliver it differently? Would it matter? Would they even do it? When we read Corinne, I'm going to reference one of our old episodes. When we read Corinne, the big thing that we had at the end of this book was somebody needed to shake her and kind of give her reality for a second. Yeah. It seems like maybe people in this book had tried to provide some of that while at the same time she was saying, that's not how, that's not what you really want. That's not what what you really care about. That's not what you're asking me. No one could take the other person at face value, nor Mm -hmm. could they accept that they needed to have a conversation. Yeah. No, it's so true. What you're saying is so true. So much of her difficulties come from insecurity. And she has Mm -hmm. convinced herself, the voice in her head has convinced her that everyone has an ulterior motive that they're not actually telling her. So even if things are well-intended, even if things are happening around her, she says multiple times that Tae and Yun-hee would say, why are you staying? Why are you still here? Why don't you move forward with your career? Why don't you move forward with your mom? Why don't you move forward with Tay? And she took it as them actually secretly liking the fact that she was a human disaster, quote unquote, that they liked her like that. They liked that she was all over the place that they mm-hmm. because it made them feel better about themselves. But that's not them communicating that to her. That's her projecting it onto them. Absolutely. <laughs> Every time. Crazy. It's it's fun because, you know, you're you're rooting for Roe. You're rooting for Dolores. This is a book about grief. This is a book about loss. This is a book about how mm-hmm. we cope with those feelings. But it's so much more. Oh, it's so much more. I'm going to read a quote that just talks about this exact thing. He, this is Tay, 
was often appalled by the way I lived, but I think he secretly liked that I was such a disaster compared to him. I was a project he could focus on, a mess he could clean up. Sometimes I think he loved me the way a mathematician might love a particularly complicated equation. That's one of the parts that I cried at because that's how I feel a lot of the time in my relationships. Like I'm a mess. Am I a pet project? Does this person, are they trying to make themselves be needed? And I also need somebody to take care of me. That's how it feels like every relationship or friendship that she has, that's a conversation that's constantly happening. And it's not just with friends or Tay. This with her mother also. Mm-hmm. That's a complicated relationship. If, ugh, it's a very complicated relationship. Yeah. That relationship I think is the hardest to unpack because there is yeah. so much that we don't know about her mother and about her, her mother and her father's early relationship, all of which informed the way her mother interacts with her. Yeah. A mother-daughter relationship is already complex. <laughs> It's already very strange and odd and weird to navigate. And some people are lucky enough to have ones that are very easy and other people aren't so lucky. Mm -hmm. So much of Rose's life has been informed by the relationship she saw between her parents, the fighting, the devolution, de-evolution, devolution. Devolution? We'll leave this in. I don't know. They'll tell us in the comments. Somebody will let us know. (laughs) The implosion of whatever affection they had for one another as they grew into more parent roles. I am fascinated by the choice here. So many people have written books about Mm -hmm. kids who have complicated relationships with their parents, and because of that, they become an overachiever or an underachiever. Roe sits in the middle. She achieved something that her father wanted for her. She started working at this aquarium. Her father's a marine biologist. She's working with this octopus that was basically the love of her father's life. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a great achievement. But she's not moving on from there. She's not making any discoveries based on that. She's not moving forward with it. She achieved, but not really. How do you find that middle ground? And then how do you write it? (laughs) I I don't understand. Well, then also, how do you stay there as a literal character and as a person? How do you find that middle ground and just do enough to get by? Because she wasn't really getting by in a in a in a good way or any productive way. You're correct. She was always just doing the amount that was required. It was true neutral. There was something she said towards the beginning of the book where she talked about when she was a little girl, mm-hmm. she would tally up all the good things that she had done without having to be asked. That she made her bed, that she helped with dinner, that she did her homework. Mm-hmm. And on Saturday, she would review those good girl points that she gave herself Mm -hmm. and based on that, decide how much love she deserved from her parents. There's a lot who, there's a lot of emotional stuff that we can kind of understand, but there's a lot of cultural stuff that we can't quite fully grasp here. Absolutely. Especially with the way that the parents talk about, you know, men versus women and the way Mm -hmm. that kind of the roles were forced upon Roe and her mother. There's a lot that is being unpacked here. The relationship with her cousin Rachel is kind of interesting because they were put in competition with each other. And now throughout the book, you see her and Rachel kind of build a relationship, which is nice. And then Roe also babysits her second cousin. Is that how that works? Your your cousin's kids are your second cousins? I have no idea. <laughs> I I really, I could not begin to tell you. It's not a genealogy podcast. It's very interesting to see that happening because Rachel 
is getting divorced in this book. And this is not really a spoiler. Like it comes up very fast. Rachel is just getting divorced, single mother. And Rose mom is now also a single mother, but you do not see them interact once in this book. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a very interesting choice. There's no like camaraderie between these two people, but I'm wondering, is it a cousin on the dad's side? And that's maybe why there's no interaction happening. I don't know which side Rachel is on, like of the family. I think the other kind of relationship that's a little weird is honestly, truly Aurora and Dolores. And I think maybe we need to unpack that for a minute because Dolores, Dolores is an octopus, but isn't really an octopus. You know what I mean? She's not, she's not really (laughs) just the thing. Well, she's the stand in for her father and all of the hopes and dreams and the normalcy that she craves once again, even though it was so terse. She sees that octopus as like the last vestige of it. That's absolutely correct, especially considering how aloof Dolores is constantly described as being, (laughs) giving these small moments of attention and then quickly moving on to something else more important. Oop, that's described often as a behavior of her father's. Uh, Correct. So, okay, interesting. I do want to say, and we touched on this a little bit before, Mm -hmm. I really thought this was going to be yeah. a scientific look at a rare octopus species <laughs> through the lens of a marine biologist. And I figured some human things would happen along the way. But mm-hmm. I thought that there would be more of a thing. The big catalyst, the catalyst of this story, the changes that are happening is that the aquarium is selling Dolores mm-hmm. to a private collector. This is earth shattering to Roe. Mm-hmm. This is a consistent, one of the few consistent, quote unquote, people, <laughs> few consistent relationships yeah. in her life. And it's being taken away from her. And this is the cataclyst for a lot of the things that happen. It's also funny that that's the catalyst. And the fact that her boyfriend is going to Mars is basically Nothing. not nearly as important at this. As she this. would have been absolutely fine. She just would have kept going with Dolores if Dolores hadn't been sold. But- I was expecting an octopus heist. I was expecting her to fight back to get some sort of like bizarre Mm -hmm. town certification or something that said that (laughs) Dolores can't be removed. This is not that, but that's what I was anticipating. I wanted an octopus heist. Someone needs to write that book. I thought this was going to be a sentient octopus. I thought this thing was going to be talking to her. And I don't know where I had this notion. I low key, I think I read a blurb to a different book. And I thought that that was this book. (laughs) And I said, yeah, this sounds fun. Let's read it. And so I started it and I'm like, wait a minute. I thought this octopus and her were like in the ocean. I'm dead. I literally thought it was like, I don't know, some like almost paranormal fantasy thing. I don't know, but I'm glad that we got what we got. This isn't about Dolores. I was expecting it to be about Dolores, and it wasn't. And when I was reading the reviews Mm. after we finished the book, a lot of people seemed to think that this was going to be about Dolores the octopus. But a lot of people were rating this book very low because it isn't about Dolores the octopus. And I was glad that it wasn't. I Mm -hmm. surprised myself with a book that I ended up really enjoying for a completely different reason than the reason that I thought I was going to enjoy it in the first place. And what a joy. How often does that happen anymore? We are inundated mm-hmm. with what books are about, like plot descriptions, character descriptions. If you Tropes. like this, then read this. It's endless. It's hard to be surprised by a book anymore. Mm-hmm. This book surprised me, pleasantly so. 
I was very pleased. And I understand where some of the reviewers are coming from. I think we said at the top of this episode, the description to this book does not do it justice. It is a little misleading. It's not misleading in as much as it doesn't describe some of the things that happen in this book. No, it's not like, um, what's that book that was popular on TikTok? It's not like Light Lark. <laughs> oh, no. We're going to get canceled. I. <laughs> oh, God. I, could take I don't want to talk about that. No, <laughs> we cannot talk about that. All, all that person talks about, that author talks about is like. Yeah, but she was selling it as something that it completely wasn't. And this is not that. Like, this is not a malicious exactly. book description. Exactly. The way this book is marketed is not a lie. It just doesn't quite suit what the book is actually about. I do almost feel like this cover, and the cover that I'm talking about, I believe must be the US cover and not the UK cover. The US cover has a beautiful octopus on it and it says Sea Change by Gina Chung. But the, I believe this must be the UK or the maybe even the Kindle edition, has um, a woman lying on the tentacle of an octopus. And I'm like, that feels much more like what this was actually leaning on the thing that you know is a constant in your life. The thing that brings you back to those moments of pure understanding to a place that makes sense. That's what the book is about. I far prefer the U S cover here though. The, I don't like the lady leaning on the octopus tentacle. <laughs> I 100% agree with you that I like that cover better, but I think that this illustrates what the book is about better. I get you. Even saying all of that, that we just, <laughs> that we just said, this is marked as the genre is fantasy. And I just, that's not correct. No, Lit it's thick not is at all. fine. Science fiction is a little bit of a stretch because I, we do talk about them going to Mars, but in like the way that Elon Musk is going to Mars. Do you know what I mean? Like it's that type of like. Well, I, I, it feels as though he's going to, you know, Vermont or like California or going yeah. to Scotland or something. It's talked about very, very loosely. And it doesn't really feel like he's going to Mars. You know, this isn't an Andy well, Weir book. <laughs> well, it's from her POV. And so I think her refusing to accept some of the realities of her life and to take things head on, yeah. right? That kind of illustrates why it was so kind of just, oh, yeah, he's leaving the planet, you know, it, it's just matter of fact in a way of she's resigned herself to it. Like she's not going to fight to to stop him. Yeah. Right. This is yeah. just the thing that's happening to me. I just have to pretend and move on. Well, it was the expectation and, on her part. She expects everyone to leave. Exactly. So she's hap well, not happy, but proved right when they do. And then when they do, it's a self-destructive spiral. This, ugh. I feel like we're really like making this book sound like such a downer. And I want to oh, be very not. clear. Uh. No, it's so, it's so lovely. The introspection that is happening, the slow kind of unpacking of the relationship between all of these people in her life. Ugh. I wish I had better words to describe this. We are literally a podcast. I wish that I had better words to describe how lovely I thought this was. I also will say there was a part in the book, and I don't remember exactly where it is. Mm -hmm. 
she says something along the lines of, you know, she's looking at, I think she's in a bathroom and she's, she has a revelation, a revelatory moment. And mm-hmm. the next sentence after she has that is, like all revelations, it was short-lived or it, oh, it yeah. passed quickly. That is the most human thing. Mm-hmm. Who among us has not been up at 2 a.m. and thought, this mm-hmm. is how I'm going to fix my entire life? <laughs> this is the step-by-step plan and you wake up and you've lost all motivation you're like what the hell is i gonna do about this or it's two o'clock in the morning and you decide to move all your furniture around your room because you're like this this will change everything (laughs) we love a manic episode we we truly do (laughs) but that's that simple sentence i think it sums up so much Mm -hmm. of what the human experience is we have these revelations and they pass very quickly (laughs) and sometimes they stick and we change and sometimes they don't more often than not they don't it's so Mm -hmm. human it's so cephalopod (laughs) (laughs) i know we're seeing a lot of these fantastical elements of the book her dad was lost at sea in this weird bermuda triangle place her ex-boyfriend is literally leaving the planet to go to Mars, and Roe has a, a very odd relationship with this octopus that represents the ghost of her father and the ghost of her kind of past life when everything was kind of hunky-dory. All that aside, one of the like really one of the big strengths of this book is the way that Chung has created this like unflinching. Maybe that's a good word. I don't know. Unflinching mm. look and accounting of the experiences of children of immigrants. The author is a child of immigrants, mm-hmm. but she's also put this story together that any reader is able to relate to. It's this hyper specific story that we are being allowed to look at because this is super personal. This oh, is yeah. it, this is super personal. You're getting all of her, all of the coming of age kind of gross details. You're getting everything. Every reader is able to understand at some point or another, the fact mm-hmm. that they might have felt that they've let somebody down, that they have leaned too hard on some kind of substance, whether or not that be drugs and alcohol or mm-hmm. sugar or whatever it might be. This book is about solitude and loneliness. This book mm-hmm. is about literally the human condition told through That's a very exactly specific it. lens. God, this book is about people. This book is about people. That's, that's some of the main, some of the big themes, big, big, heavy things in a fanciful book about an octopus. Of really well done. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I was so excited. I'm so pleasantly surprised. I think exactly what you're saying. It, it's hitting the nail on the head. This book tells a very specific story of a very mm-hmm. specific person experiencing very specific things that mm-hmm. somehow are all told well enough to be universally relatable. Unreal. Gina Chan, you did that. I know it feels like we're just laying on the compliments here, but when Kayla and I both finished this book mm-hmm. and we were we kind of had to sit back mm-hmm. and I still really have not fully been able to digest no, all of the things is, in here. I'm so excited because this is one of those books I'm going to be able to reread a bunch of times. You know, whenever, yeah. you know, this summer going to the beach, I'll bring this with me. And I'll notice new things and it'll make me Mm -hmm. feel different things. Oh, it's such a special book. And yeah, I agree. You know, sure, there are problems with it. Of course, there are problems with every book because of human error. There are some pacing issues. Some people felt it was very slow. It is. It is slow. It's a slow paced book. Oh, you thought it was? I think so. Oh, I didn't. 
I felt like we were getting a day-by-day account of a person grieving a lot of losses Mm -hmm. and finally starting to process a lot of emotions that she had felt throughout her life. People felt Mm. that it was slow. It's not a criticism on my part because I enjoyed every second. But it is slower compared to some of the other books. I would say probably slow to medium paced compared to the fast paced fantasies we're used to. For me, it's also not a criticism because I liked the pace of the book. I understand why people might have thought it was that. For me, this felt like one long sustained anxiety attack. This entire Mm. book felt like we were making this panic attack or anxiety attack last for 300 pages. Mm. And you could feel... It never quite got to that fever pitch of like a breaking. She never broke down. That's the also the big thing I think I was surprised about with the pacing. A conclusion happens. But while it was happening, she didn't like, there was no big, crazy, huge thing. Mm-hmm. That's that's the thing. I, I liked the pacing, uh, but it did split into a bunch of different timelines, which was interesting. But also, I think it was done well. Yeah, I agree. I do want to touch on something you just said. This was another criticism that I saw in the reviews that I completely Mm. disagree with. People didn't like that there wasn't a confrontation, a moment of her reclaiming her space, a moment of her yelling at everyone who's ever wronged her and telling off her boss and doing all this, that, the other. That's what makes it so real. Mm -hmm. Normal people who have problems at their jobs don't go in. Exactly screaming and yelling, flipping desks and burning bridges and stealing octopi. Mm -hmm. Neither does she. She is forced to accept a lot of really hard things. And her reclaiming her control over that is not grandiose. It's not big. It's Mm -hmm. quiet. It's a quiet moment where she reflects, accepts her fate, and takes control over what aspects of it that she can. That's so human. Oh, it's so real. I know. Beautifully written. Beautifully done. You're right. There might be a confrontation with a force or with a person, but there is a confrontation that happens. And that is with the circumstances that she finds herself in. It's almost like she is both the protagonist and the antagonist in this book. She Mm -hmm. is both the problem and the solution. It's all about, this is all about self-sabotage. Like that's what this really, that they need to understand these reviewers if they went into this expecting some cathartic, like throwing your phone into the fountain and not taking Miranda Priestley's calls, that's not what is happening here. No, this is a not. person who's saying, I have let myself become a person that I don't appreciate. And also I've let other people down by letting myself to, it's just this, this constant circle of it. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, that's the thing that she's really facing. I like that it's quiet. I like that it's simple and easy. Mm -hmm. And we read a lot of books that do have those moments. There are innumerable books out there that have that that feeling of like an itch you get to scratch because you're watching Mm -hmm. someone else do something that you know you can't. This is a real, this is a mirror. This is very real. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's it's authentic. (laughs) And I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good book and I'm looking forward to reading it again. I know that I'm going to be revisiting this. And while we've been talking, I've been going through looking at all of the small things that I highlighted. I mean, I'm on the Kindle version of this book. And some of the small sentences tell you so much more than entire chapters in this book. And that's what I mean when you go back and reread it. 
you're going to all of a sudden have this kind of, oh shit moment. Like there's this moment where she's talking about her long, narrow nose and large eyes, her full mouth, none of which I had inherited. All of those things suddenly felt dangerous. And at first reading, you're just like, oh, she's in a bad situation. No, in reality, she's realizing my mother has more sexual agency and life than she's ever let me see. More humanity than she will let me draw out of her. That relationship is really difficult because... You know, my mom and I have a a really interesting relationship, not a bad one, but an interesting one where I feel like I understand where Roe is coming from on certain parts of this book. <laughs> and I'm going to leave that at that and I will take it up with my therapist next week. There you go. Yeah, this is all fueling, <laughs> fueling our therapy bills. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with us, Michaela? Read this book. Go buy this book. Go read this book. Give it a try. I'm sorry that we have sort of popped the bubble that we got to go in with of sort of not knowing what we were really going to get out of it, but Mm -hmm. it's worth it. It's worth the read. It's a quick read. It's only like 300 pages. Go read this book. That is my final thought. (laughs) I think that my final thought is uh, thank you for listening to another episode of Pages Unknown. As a reminder, we do have new episodes every Wednesday. If you liked what you heard today, you can do two things. Number one, check out Gina Chung's debut novel, Sea Change. And number two, follow us on Spotify, Apple, and TikTok. We will talk to you all next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.